Senate and House lawmakers consider options to create more transparency in cattle markets as industry leaders butt heads over the best way forward. Which new rules might be on the table before the 2023 Farm Bill? That's today on Field Posts. DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. After months of back and forth on various legislative proposals, the House and Senate Ag Committees both sat down for a hearing in recent weeks to learn more from industry leaders about the problems and needs of the cattle market when it comes to price transparency. In light of the added recent hardships of rising feed prices and inflation at the grocery store, many ranchers are anxious for answers, but there's little agreement about what possible actions might be the most sensible way forward. Today, we're joined by DTN Ag Policy Editor Chris Clayton to talk about recent discussions on Capitol Hill and beyond. We'll dig into proposed bills and their chances of being signed into law, responses from major cattle groups, how cattlemen are weighing in, and what might be next as a new farm bill cycle looms, right after this word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential, more than ever, to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent, trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at MyDTN.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. DTN Ag Policy Editor Chris Clayton joins us today to talk about a story that's been in the spotlight for many months at this point. Chris, we are checking back in on the cattle price transparency story, which has been in the kind of political space for a while now at this point. Chris, give us kind of an update on where are we at this moment in terms of taking political action on this people's transparency concerns? Senate Agriculture Committee had a hearing on the legislation in, in early May, and just there were two bills that uh, they talked about. One of them actually even had some action in the House, but the bill to would mandate a certain level of, of negotiated cash trade had a hearing, and then the bill that along with that was a bill that uh, would add a special investigator office uh, at USDA to uh, look at um, packer issues and they would have subpoena power. So there was a hearing in the Senate Agriculture Committee on those two bills and you got to see essentially where the individual senators were falling out and most of the members of that committee supported that bill, which was led, the bill was led by a Senator Deb Fisher of Nebraska, Chuck Grassley of Iowa, John Tester of, excuse me, Montana, even though he is not a member of the Ag Committee. But, but 
They had a hearing on that bill finally, and those both of those bills. And then the very next day, the House Agriculture Committee held a hearing with the um, CEOs of uh, the major packing companies, JBS, Tyson, Cargill, National Beef. So they were all there. And and kind of could tell some you know partisan split between the questions from the Democrats, but also some Republicans had some tough questions as well, particularly those from cattle country. So you had these two kind of back-to-back hearings in in Congress on this legislation and stuff. And then the House Agriculture Committee moved a bill out of committee last week, third week of May, that would. It was the special investigator bill. They surprisingly moved the bill out quicker than the SA Agriculture Committee did. It was a partisan vote on that bill. The legislation would create a special investigation office at USDA that would have subpoena power to look into Packers and Stockyards Act violations. Some groups weren't happy about that. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association was was upset about that and complained, saying it was duplicative. You already have Packers and Stockyards Administration in Congress, or excuse me, at USDA. But but some of the state chapters for NCBA do support this legislation, and other groups support it as well. Of course, the National North American Meat Association also strongly opposed it and made some similar comments that it's duplicative, et cetera. One of the issues that they raised that would be interesting to see if they got called upon on it was that they said basically the Packers and the Packers and Stockyards people at USDA are underfunded. That was talked about quite a bit, the Senate Ag hearing as well, that they're pretty short on staff there. They've seen budget cuts. They've uh, lost a lot of people over the past several years. And they're not really funded or equipped, more or less, to take on and investigate you know, major allegations against the Packers. And that really bears out when you look at, if you go to USDA's website and you look up Packers and Stockyards Administration stuff, you can see the kind of things that they investigate. And it often involves a very small number of cattle, a couple of people who have a dispute over something, but rarely do you see any serious allegations or questions among the big, large packing plants at USDA. Yeah, it's a complicated story. And I'm curious, just sticking on those kind of the the latest topics, the latest kind of conversations around potential legislation that could come out. Have you talked to specific ranchers or specific, you know, feedlot owners, people more at the ground level? What kind of reactions are you hearing? Do those kind of echo what you're hearing from NCBA? It depends really on where you are in the country and and maybe the segment that you were talking to. I was down in Texas last week and visited with the president of the uh, Texas Cattle Feeders Association in in Amarillo and their staff. They're very opposed to mandate legislation. And a big part of the reason there is because as USDA data has shown over time, these large packers, or excuse me, these large feeders that you have in a state like Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, in particular, Kansas as well, those feeders generally have the have long-term contracts with the Packers. Some of them may have been owned by the Packers, but at one time as you had the big feed yard 
conglomerate that was uh, owned by JBS at one time and, and then was sold off. So these large feeders who can deliver, you know, 10,000 head at a given time or a thousand head at a given time constantly for the, for the Packers, they have these, these alternative marketing agreements, these contracts that they don't want to see their business model change. These, so these feeders was talked about in testimony from a guy from Kansas, one of the hearings, these guys, they might be custom feeders. They're contracting themselves with ranchers and investors and others who buy and leap buy into the cattle and they're they're basically the the hotels that feed and manage and take care of the animals, and but by doing so, they also know that there's a, a place for them at the packing plant. So the idea that they are required to have more negotiated cash trade takes away from those contracts that they already have in place. So the conversation in Texas is very different than I have here in Iowa where I live, where a high percentage of the cattle are uh, sold through cash trades, meaning that the packers have only limited ownership or there's no real direct contract for delivery. They're bought a more spot market. They might be bought from a feeder a couple of weeks out. So it's a much more of a spot market in the, in the Midwest. So you have a regional difference that really stands out. And you get that regional difference when you get the questioning from from senators on it as well. You can, you know, pretty much tell how the how the questioning is going to go based upon uh, where they're from because their producers are seeing a very different situation than producers in another part of the country are. I'm curious too, as we dig into what happened at those hearings. I know hearings can often be a place for lawmakers to ask questions and to explore or talk about maybe what they what their ideas are, but not always the most productive in terms of actually getting things done. But I'm curious as you watched the two hearings, the the hearing in the House and the hearing in the Senate in the last few weeks, did you hear any surprising kind of statements or interesting, unexpected? takes from lawmakers who either seem to have maybe be changing their mind on some of these topics or maybe be interested in exploring alternatives that we haven't heard about yet? That's a good question. I haven't really seen um, a whole lot of, no, I I really guess I I can't say that um, we've seen much. We've we've just had a lot, you generally have a lot of economic arguments going each way on whether the Packers have uh, have been too profitable or if the Packers have had to slow down their supply chains because of labor or lack of labor or changes they had to make because of COVID-19. It's been those kind of discussions. How much has the drought played into cattle supplies? So as far as making other alternative proposals or pitches to change things, really the biggest thing comes primarily from, from USDA and the push to see in the Biden administration to see some some more private investment and, and different kinds of people investing in, in packing plants. So we've seen some different packing plant proposals announced. One of them was announced uh, last summer, not far from uh, in Iowa. And one of them was announced in North Platte, Nebraska last year. The difficulty is I'm not sure how much movement has actually happened since those announcements were made. The one that near me was announced the last July was going to be like a 3,000 head a day operation. 
if I'm remembering uh, all the numbers correctly. So fairly large packing plant. There, there has not been any groundwork construction actually done as of yet on that on that proposal. I think they're waiting to see if they're going to get some USDA funding or something like that. I am not totally sure. I just know that last year it seemed like there were a lot of proposals put out there to uh, expand packing capacity around the country. I, I'm not real sure at the moment how much those facilities have really taken off and started actually either expanding or or being built. Something to have to take a look at uh, maybe over the summer. So. Yeah, one of those things that definitely takes some time. I'm curious, as you look at the chances of these bills moving forward and getting a real hearing and potentially a vote and and being considered to be signed into law. Do you feel like there's, this is like a near future possibility or does this still feel like we're very much talking about maybe one day? I'm very, very jaded individuals at times on the when it comes to Congress getting things done. I think what they're going to do more is run out the clock, essentially. You might get a bill past the House, something like this uh, bill advanced out of committee on, on, on the investigating the investigator office at USDA. That was a surprise. I think that House Act moved it out like they did, which gives me some indication that maybe leadership wants to see something, see that passed. So they can get that passed in the House because Democrats at the moment have a majority in, in the Senate. You, you have got members from both parties in the Senate Agriculture Committee. A majority of the Senate Agriculture Committee supports this bill to deal with the, the 50% the negotiated cash trade legislation. But I think the opposition, uh, particularly, which is really led by uh, Senator Bozeman from Arkansas, the ranking member of the committee, and his staff. So you've got the ranking member opposed to it. And that means basically that half of the committee staff is all opposed to it as well. They've been putting out a lot of reports. They've been asking for economic reports from universities where they know that they're going to get numbers that support uh, their view. So they've got opposition really built up to, to making any kind of change there. And I think they will find a way to, particularly in the Senate, to more or less run out the clock to the next election. We're already at the end of May and and truly as we move closer to the November midterm, less of consequence is going to get done in Congress. My my jaded view is that there'll be nothing that really moves legislatively that would shake up an industry like the pack industry or the cattle market through the midterm. I've seen you, you just see this sort of thing play out too many times in the past. If something of consequence possibly happens, like the you know they do need to reauthorize the livestock mandatory price reporting bill, but I think they will basically do another extension of that bill, and probably look at maybe rolling in some sort of changes, assuming that they begin work on the next farm bill. It's in my view, it's like forecasting the the wind totals for the Detroit Lions at this point. Just really, maybe there's 
I'd be hope for the future, but, but not this year. So given that, as you are watching going into the summer, are you watching anyone outside of Congress? Maybe at the USDA, there was a DOJ investigation at some point, maybe some of the, the cattle representing groups. Are you expecting, or with lawsuits that we've seen, any other news you might be watching for, updates that you might expect to come in the next couple of months? Well, there's the uh, lawsuits up in Minnesota involving collusion among the Packers, alleged collusion among the Packers that goes back to 2015. It's a very complicated lawsuit involving claims of price rigging and everything else. And an interesting thing about that has not been really brought out in Congress is that JBS um, actually agreed to a settlement in that case and agreed to help the plaintiffs in that case. That story was came out earlier this year, and then it was one of the things that senators who demand reform in Packers uh, stockyards, excuse me, Packers and stockyard situations really pointed to, but it just, the story itself didn't seem to get much legs after that. But the question remains is, how does that litigation continue moving forward? Those things can take a really long time. You've got all of the major packing organization companies involved in it. What exactly kind of shakes out of that situation will uh, be interesting to be seen. Do, they, do the Packers just settle something out and, and we move on or continue to get slugged out in court? I, I think that USDA, it was July of last year, Agriculture Secretary Vilsack comes to Council Bluffs, Iowa, you literally have the all of the major agricultural groups from both Iowa and Nebraska both showed up at this little meat locker in Council Bluffs and packed the place for him to make this announcement that uh, USDA was going to pour hundreds of millions of dollars, I think even literally a billion dollars into uh, investing and expanding packing uh, capacity. That's where this company made this announcement uh, that they were going to be opening up and building uh, their new facility. Uh, Viltac went and stood there in a soybean field where this new packing plant is supposed to be. And then he went up and had this uh, discussion um, at the fifth. So that was, that was last July. None of that money hardly has really come out yet. A, a little bit has been provided, but, but not the big dollars that were supposed to help select and, and build some new packing facilities. So I would think sometime this summer, they're going to be making some sort of funding announcements uh, or, or they're going to ignore emails and you know questions from people like myself about, hey, what happened there? Because they had this big, huge splash of events. It was right out. It was literally the, the day that President um, Biden signed the executive order on, on competition. So it was in early July. And we're going to, we're about less than two months from becoming a full year on when that first announcement was made. But the money still has not been put out there. That's something that's going to happen either. They're going to have to make some sort of splash or at least explain. Maybe when Bill Sack has a hearing May 26 before Senate Agriculture Committee, he gets some questions about that. That would be interesting to find out. So we'll see if something moves forward there. Which brings us to, as we wait and see a bit longer on the, the cattle price transparency question, I'm curious, 
for you as DTN's uh, reporter who covers Washington. You mentioned we are just about six months away from the beginning of what is supposed to be a farm bill year 2023. So I'm curious what outside of this, the cattle story, um, the beef industry story, what else are you going to be watching as we head into the second half of 2022? Groups have just started to put out some farm bill recommendations and the, the American Soybean Association literally today put out a, a release just kind of spelling out its its recommendations or wants more or less and, and the big one was that the soybean growers want to see some expansion or improvement in um, title one programs their commodity safety net programs so they're not the only ones that are going to make that sort of ask and this is going to be a, a really interesting uh, situation as you look and move into 2023 coming on a year where we do have really high prices we also have um, a lot of complications because of uh, high input costs shortages of uh, equipment and needs etc but the farm groups the commodity groups are going to ask for increases in their safety net program. You've got the Biden administration that is focused much more heavily on wanting to see a big boost in expansion in conservation program tied to climate change. So there's gonna be a conflict basically there over um, how the administration sees things going forward and maybe what the commodity groups want. And I'm, again, going to go back to my cynical side. If the House particularly flips from Democrat to Republican, there is, in my mind, absolutely no way that we will see a farm bill before 2025. It just will not happen. The political climate, the way it is, when they passed this big infrastructure bill last year, this complaint about bipartisanship and working with the other side and giving Biden a win was really interesting. And I just don't think that outside of a um, major catastrophe in, in agriculture, that there would be any way we move forward with the farm bill before the next presidential election. I've been told I'm long get that in by Senate staffers on that, but I think they're incredibly overly optimistic and, and I'm not. Uh, a final question, maybe any other stories outside of Washington that you maybe are keeping an eye on this summer that you want to talk a little bit about so that folks can be on the lookout? For? We will be doing a lot of focus just obviously on the, the, the crop season and, and, and because of Ukraine, because of global stocks, there's just going to be a tremendous amount of tension on how much wheat is harvested, winter wheat, how much, what do the crops look like through the season? We've had a slow planting season. It's even slower in the north where they had some flooding. We've had drought situations in Texas and in other areas, but they've gotten maybe a little bit of opportunity of rain that has come just in the last week. The, the focus, I think, not just for myself, but for, for a lot of DTN at the moment, is going to be looking at all of the various crop producing aspects 
around the country and what those numbers look like, as well as our competitors. And then I think it might also be really incumbent on us to to find different ways to take a look at supply chain issues going on, whether that's an excuse to go out to Long Beach, California to admire the port or something along those lines that we really need to also get a handle on just what is the situation with commodity products flowing out of the country or flowing in, et cetera. So. You can read Chris's extended coverage of cattle price transparency and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Chris Clayton. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.